This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes. Hi, and thanks for joining me on Girl Boss Radio again. This is the fourth installment. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder of Nasty Gal and the author of Girl Boss. We're recording in the Nasty Gal headquarters here in downtown LA in a studio that used to be a closet that's nestled between my office and the executive toilet. Every week I'm going to be talking to awesome women who have made their mark in different fields. This week's guest is Sherry Watterson. She came so far from this interview. She walked about 10 feet from her office, and I'm so happy to have her here today. But first, I want to introduce my friend Liz Carey, who is a comedian, an actress, a writer, and just a friend, funny girl all around. And I don't know, I just feel like when we're in the room together, funny stuff happens. And Liz and I are just going to riff at the top of the episode. She just unbuttoned her pants. It's really hot in here. And we're just going to talk about our week and give each of you our one girl boss moment of the week, which will just be kind of the main takeaway that is, this is the real girl bossy thing I did this week. Oh, yeah. So I, I haven't seen you in like a week. We went on a vacation together. It feels like we've been back like but a year. Yeah. I was going to say I two know. months, but now that you say it, a year. Do you know what's nice about this podcast? It's also a sweat lodge. Oh. <laughs> so I, have lo- I feel like I've lost three pounds since I got in here. You should put that as part of a promo, like girl boss, and you lose seven pounds yeah. during each session. Come on my show. Okay. Well, about a week ago, I went to Boston. Oh, yeah. I went and spoke to 400 girls at Northeastern University, this sorority organized. Oh, yeah. I come out, and they were just so cool, and they really had their shit together. Is it weird to talk to college girls when you didn't go to college? It was funny. I thought about that. I was like, wow, I really pulled something off. I didn't finish college, but I'm going to them to talk to their students. How does that work? Of all the people that you speak to, I feel like sorority girls would make me nervous. One of my conceptions about college was or or sorority specifically was that it was a bunch of girls being like really mean to each other and then i'm sure some of that exists but these girls were so fucking cool and they were like making friends in the line but i did learn something interesting what netflix and chill we talked about this no no do you know what it means yeah I didn't know what it meant. But we talked about this on vacation. No, you just showed me your friend's Instagram that said, haha, isn't this so funny? 20 minutes into Netflix and chill. 20 minutes into Netflix and chill. Oh, she didn't know what it meant. Do you know what it means? It means to have sex. Oh, yeah, it does. And watch Netflix. I didn't know that. Where have you been? So it's like code speak for like, come over, let's watch Netflix and like do it, which just sounds like the worst date ever unless you're actually in a relationship. Whatever. Do you want a confession? I didn't know what 420 was until maybe two years ago. Are you serious? It's my birthday. I know that. Okay. And somebody said to me something about it, doing something. They were talking about 420. I go, what do you have to do so specifically at 420? And the whole room stopped. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. But I still didn't know what was going on. So I was trying to cover myself. And they were still staring at me like, there's no way this girl could not. That's crazy. I didn't. It's just like one of those things, like Netflix and Chill. Missed you. She's from the Midwest. Four twenty. Just like went. Netflix and Chill is about six months old. Okay, no, it's like two years old. Yeah. I think I'm down to four pounds. We should put a, <laughs> we should put a scale in here. <laughs> so, Liz, did you have any girl boss moments this week? 
Um, you're a mom. You're a working <clears throat> single mom. So I would say your whole week is a girl boss moment. Thank you. Let's give you some fucking credit. Thanks. My girl boss moment of the week was that I handmade lunches every day and he didn't have to buy one from school. Oh, my God. That's what do you make? Now it's going to sound crappy, but bagels and pancakes in the morning if i cook him does he take pancakes to go no but if i if i get up and make him pancakes i feel good or if i make him something homemade and if i have time to make him lunch instead of him buying lunch at school yeah i feel like a winner my girl boss moment of the week is figuring out how to respond to every girl who has given me a letter written me a card passed me their business card or emailed girl boss the other day, I just opened up my Snapchat to receive snaps from people, and I got a snap that was, you saved my ambition and my style. And it was two Aww. girls laying in bed together just in, like, gross T-shirts with guitars on the floor in the background. Cool fucking girls. I screenshotted it, and I sent it to the whole company. And Anyway, thank you for talking back. That's the idea here. I'm figuring out how I can keep up with y'all. Cool. I'm excited to riff again with you next week after we have a whole nother week of misadventures, girl boss moments behind us. Thank you, Liz. Thank you for having me. All right. Next up is Sherry Watterson, Nasty Gal CEO. I lost eight pounds. Today's guest is Sherry Watterson. Sherry has been the president of Speedo North America. She was the chief product officer at Lululemon for five and a half years, and she's the CEO of Nasty Gal today. I've worked with her now for two years. She is such an inspiring woman, and she wakes up herself inspired every day to lead our team here, and I'm so grateful for that. Hey, Sherry, thanks for being here. Thanks, Sophia. This is so much fun. Do you like- I've never been in this room before. You haven't? This is the inner sanctum. This is the inner sanctum. It's like the office next to my office, but it's really a closet. It's very cool. Yeah, I like the closet. It's cool. So let's start from the beginning. You're from Northern California, too. I am. Just Where- a little bit south of Sacramento. Walnut Creek, California. Very happening. Yeah. I mean, it's technically the Bay Area. Yeah, it is. And you East know, Bay. I started Nasty Gal a little bit in San Francisco, a little bit in Marin County, but... Where I really landed when I started the eBay store was in Pleasant Hill, which is about five minutes from there. It is. My little brother lives there. I'm very familiar with Walnut (laughs) Creek. And what did your family do? My mother was a teacher and my father was a school administrator, formerly a farmer. After two floods and a drought, he decided that he was going to move to California from Iowa and start a new gig. So I come from a family of educators. And you wanted to be a teacher, right? I did, a kindergarten teacher, because I love kids, so... I got way off track, what happened? Though, right? What happened? Dude. You're not leaving me to teach kindergarten, <laughs> are you? <laughs> not anytime soon. <laughs> Let's see. I was going to UC Berkeley, and I was doing student teaching, and I worked my way through college, and one holiday, I go, God, I'm going to quit this waitress gig I've got, and I'm going to start working. I'm going to apply for this job at this really cool store called Joseph Magnin, which is kind of like Barney's, and I wanted to be a dun da 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 Christmas gift wrapper. (laughs) (laughs) So I got the job, and I must have rocked the wrapping scene because they kept me on after Christmas. Oh, man. I always wanted to be the holiday help that got kept around. It never (laughs) happened to me. (laughs) I know. Well, I was praying. I I disappointed everyone. But I doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah, well, the universe (laughs) had your back because he had other plans for you. But anyway, so I finished college, and I went to Europe for... I don't know, a couple months with some friends. And 
it was a total blast. But when I got back, I had applied for my fifth year, which is what you need for a teaching credential, and I applied late. So I did not get accepted, and I thought my life was coming to an end. So I decided I'd go back and work at Joseph Magnet again until I got accepted into this program. And so I kept getting promoted, which I'm going, what is wrong with you people? I am going to be a kindergarten teacher and save the world. <laughs> I am not going to be in retail. And it was so funny. I was thinking, how do buyers buy stuff? This is so crazy. How do you know what's going to sell? At any rate, one day I called the buying office and two of my girlfriends from Berkeley were there. And there was a job opening there, which they encouraged me to interview for, for a junior assistant buyer in lingerie. Junior assistant? Dude, it was hardcore. I've never yeah. even heard of such a thing. <laughs> that was back <laughs> in the day. So I got the job. I guess I was qualified to be the junior assistant buyer of lingerie. And the rest is history. I uh, started a totally different trajectory in my career. So you got the job at Joseph, Joseph Magnum. Yeah. And then what? So then I, I was there for five years, and I left because they did not make it. But I ended up working for a Target company called Mervyn's. I remember Mervyn's. Remember? I was yeah. like, Mom, Dad, please, no, don't make me go there. No more, like, striped mock neck, turtleneck, please. I can't even imagine you shopping at Mervyn's. But anyway, <laughs> what was super cool about that, people said, how could you possibly go from a, you know, like a boutique buying designer sportswear to – to go to Mervyn's, and I go, wow, I really learned my merchandising chops there because back then, a merchant did everything from plan to buy to market to do the floor schematics. Wow, everything. And so it really taught me the basics. I also learned about design and production there too. What was it like then compared to how things are in most modern vertical apparel businesses? Yeah, I would say that we were generalists back then. So we did everything. And the beauty of that was is that you know how to do everything and you understand how to connect the dots in the business. And what happens as retailers turn vertical, meaning that they designed and produced all of their own product, you needed to have specialists. So what happened to the industry was is that it basically fragmented out so that different disciplines had different leaders. And generally, the merchant was the one that ran the show in terms of the direction and so forth. But there were a lot of different people that came to be very pivotal in, in what it took to get product to market. And so you've told me this story, and I love this story, about you calling yourself the Velvet Hammer, oh, which I just awesome. love. I like want to use it all over the place. I want to apply the Velvet Hammer. Velvet Hammer, yeah, comes in handy. So where did this originate? Tell me the Velvet Hammer story. This is cool. So one of my first bosses, who was my mentor, and was talking to me about a job that was coming up, and she said, you know, there's the designer sportswear job is coming up, and that's what you've always wanted, right? And I'm like, yeah, totally. She goes, that's cool because – I'm going to interview for that job, too. And I was like, what? She's interviewing for that job? This is the job of my dreams. This is the one that I've always wanted. And so I remember going into that interview, and I was so focused because I was going to have that thing. And the woman that was interviewing me said, so, Sherry, designer sportswear is quite different than the businesses that you've been in because it's very relationship-oriented. And how will you go in and negotiate when everything is so relationship-oriented and how will you handle yourself? And I said, well, I'll get what I want. And she goes, how? And I said, well, 
I'll just be like the velvet hammer. In other <laughs> words, I'll get what I want, but it'll hurt, but it won't hurt that bad because it's wrapped in velvet. I don't know what they meant <laughs> yeah. by that. but So I ended up getting the job, and they loved that answer, meaning that I could handle tough situations with you know some sort of grace. And my boss came up to me, and she said, congratulations for getting the job. And I said, thank you so much. And she goes, do you want to know something? I said, what? She goes, I didn't really interview for that job. And I go, what? You didn't interview for the job? She goes, no. I told you that because I know you do your best when you're pissed off and you would really focus on that interview. And you did. And you got what you wanted. So cool. I just want to make you angry all the time. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by The Message a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? Not yet. Uh, We're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now, uh, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what it is. Voices, music, breathing. But you know, I'm not gonna mess with that thing. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So Lululemon, you spent how long at Lululemon? Five and a half years. Yeah, and you joined when the company was how big? It was two hundred million, and when I left, it was shy of two billion. Wow. Yeah, that's really fast. It's really fast. It was such a wonderful adventure. I'm telling you, I, at that time, I was so fortunate to you know work with the CEO Christine Day and an amazing CFO John Curry, and that leadership trifecta was one where each of us had different strengths and we leveraged each other's strengths. And what else was cool is that about 25% of our time was spent on leadership, leadership training and doing lots of work. What did you learn in those five and a half years at Lululemon? Mm. And what's the takeaway? Cool. I think I learned that surrounding yourself with people that complement your strengths is just really tremendously valuable and that you supercharge each other's talents when you do that. Learning how to lead other people through actually recognizing their talents and being able to coach them to be better at that versus try to change what they're not good at. So I learned that. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to think that trying to change people was the way to manage them. And it's really like an old, outdated sort of way of thinking. Yeah. I learned a lot about leadership, about really having real conversations, like not making it scary to tell people the truth, and to do it with love. When you do anything with great intention, generally people take it really well and it benefits two parties, not just one. And I, I think I learned how to grow a company at a velocity that I just never thought was possible, of course, with the help of others. I think it's just so funny because, yeah, you spent five and a half amazing years at Lululemon and you guys accomplished something that every so retail business is still trying yeah. to do. But at the very end, this Pantsgate thing happened. Was it called Pantsgate? I don't know. I, I'm sure somebody like probably used that handle, but 
It was sheer pants that had to be recalled at Lululemon, and <laughs> the press had a heyday with it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> cool. They had fun writing. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, you were the chief product officer. It was technically a product. Somebody had to take the fall. What was that like? What does that feel like? Yeah. It's really interesting. You know, there was, as a company grows so quickly, one thing that you notice is that you have to rely more and more on your partners, and you have to have more and more experts around you, which, of course, we did. And if I look back, I would say, should we have had more experts sooner? That would have been an action that I would have taken. And sometimes things just happen, to mm -hmm. be really honest. We did testing with every shipment that we did, of course, and we tested fabric and so on and so forth. And all the people that did this quality testing had to be certified. So, you know, things happen. And I think part of it is we needed to take our fabric development just to a different level and a different level of science, which is something that we were doing. Actually, when I left, I hired a man that was just promoted to senior vice president of innovation. His name is Tom Waller there. And he created an what entire cool title. Isn't it? I know, right? I want that title. You have that title. I do. That's right. <laughs> Unfortunately. That's included. We're not hiring that one anytime soon. <laughs> that's awesome. At any rate, he was in charge of doing research on not only the fabric, but the construction and so forth. And it all affected each other to make something perform. That's but a really the, cool job. Yeah. What do you think about the media? And I mean, uh, this is media. My book is technically media. Right. It's such a powerful thing. Right. And I think it has such a power for good. And the tiniest thing can be blown out of proportion. What has your experience been? And what did you learn from the media that ensued at the end of your time at Lulu? Sure. Let me talk about that. One of the things that I would say is just going back a bit is that your integrity as a human being comes through no matter what. And the fact that you know how to lead people, that you conduct yourself with professionalism, you're naturally curious, you are constantly innovating and so forth is really important. And when you do the right thing throughout your career, people know. And one of the things that was so great, I said it's probably the, the best disappointment I've ever had in my life when I left because I heard from almost every single industry leader called me, emailed me, and so on and so forth. And they basically had my back, which is incredible. People I didn't even know wow. who said your reputation precedes you. And I think that there's something so wonderful about that. So, you know, it's media true. can be accurate or it can be inaccurate. But I think the bottom line is, is no matter what, you have to live your life with your own integrity and be proud of what you do. And if you make mistakes, say, hey, I made a mistake and move on. What's your favorite way to communicate? I know it's not via email. No, it's face-to-face -face, by yeah. far. Yeah, by I've, far. I've learned that myself. Yeah. I've spent years trying to solve problems over text or via email. Oh, my God. Email makes me so crazy. Because <laughs> when I see a string of e – this is my favorite thing, to see a string of like, I don't know. It could be up to 20 different conversations yeah, happening. Right. I'm like, guys, 
you sit you walk in the same building for heaven's sake let's just get together i've heard some companies have like a policy if if there's an exchange of more than an email a response and then a response back if it requires more than that then it has to go offline it has to which i think it's really cool i don't know if we'll ever enforce the policy like that but well in addition to problem solving if you want rapid problem solving which is a must if you're in business these days relationship is one of the most powerful things we have and it's also one of the things that I think is the biggest gift these days because we're all very busy. We're all on every single device multiple times during the day. And that humanity, I think, really helps get things done. Yeah, in a way that's fun. Where did you learn your leadership chops and what do you consider great leadership? God, I think leadership is just about how you live your life, right? And so for me, A, I think I'm a late bloomer. And I think I'm a s- slow and steady. And a lot of people in this industry have burnout. And I'm still going. And part of leadership is having abs of steel. You have to be able to take disappointment and, you know, gnarly things and be able to say, I'm going to go on and I'm going to do my best and bless every circumstance that you have, whether it's exhilarating or disappointing. What would your top five leadership must-dos? You have to listen. You have to be very self-aware. You have to know your craft so you have credibility with the people you speak with. You have to really be willing to learn. So the, the listening part's one thing, but then actually take that and wrap it into what your actions are and who you're being at any one time. Oh, another one for me is being optimistic. I think being optimistic is such an and passionate is such an important leadership trait for me personally. Mm-hmm. How do you balance optimism with the cold hard truth as the CEO? So I think optimism is the energy you carry around. Optimism is the energy you bring into a room when you're sitting with somebody that you are open. But openness doesn't take away honesty. Open and honesty live together so that you can be authentic, you can have tough conversations, and you can deliver them in a way that can be heard. What are your, some, some of your favorite places to inspire yourself? I think one way that I do it is actually I walk. So Yeah, you do something called adventure walks, right? <laughs> I, I name them adventure walks because I realize sometimes, I don't know, when I'm not feeling creative, I know that I need to get out and move my body. And so... If I have a credit card, a $20 bill, my iPhone, and some earphones, I can go anywhere and do anything and have a complete and total blast. And so on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, I you know, venture out in my very attractive... <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you're wearing like... Genya denim. <laughs> I wish. I mean, <laughs> anyway, no. I wait. I don't think I'm wearing a running skirt or something like that. But anyway, um, running skirts exist. They do. Wow. Ooh, lemon man. So I just go out and I go on up to eight mile walks. And if I get tired, I just call an Uber and you know make my way back. But <laughs> I've had awesome adventures at LACMA or you know a lot of other cool things. That's so cool. Yeah. And people say you can't walk in LA. There you go. Exactly. Not true. What the hell? We have a few questions from Twitter. Awesome. Oh, and I have some from on Snapchat right now, too. I snapped this morning and asked people to send me snaps back. So in the future, you guys, you can tweet at 
Girlboss, G-I-R-L-B-O-S-S. Any questions for future guests? But Yannicka Munoz, who is a girl I've met twice now, mm-hmm. she lives in the Bay Area. She's come out to both right. of the Girlboss book tour events, and she's yeah. just super duper cool and really engaged. Awesome. And I love her. So she wrote, for Sherry, your style is insanely cool. What motivates you to buy? God, I don't know, like fantasy, I suppose, right? I don't think I ever got over playing dress up, you know what I mean? And so something that I probably don't have in my wardrobe just challenges me to like think about it in a different way. Clothes yeah. are cool. Why are clothes cool? God, they they really change your energy, you know? Yeah. It's sort of like I suppose it's a little bit like a costume that you put on every day in a fun way, right? Yeah. To express yourself. And so some days if I feel a little blah, I go, you know what? Let's just dress up a little bit. I'm gonna put on it's my fun. my glittery. I'm gonna put on my glitter bomber jacket, boots man. With my with the you know acrylic <laughs> heel. Wait, so you wear all black pretty much all the time, right? Pretty much. You know, I think that came from traveling so much. You know, in this business, yeah. it's just too. I don't know. There's so many things to think about in your life, like matching colors and stuff like that. Just wasn't my thing. But you're good at it for for nasty gal, <laughs> so that works. Yeah. Okay. She also asks, at any point in your life, have you had a mentor and have you returned the favor? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I want to be a kindergarten teacher, right? So the universe said, no, 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 uh, nice idea, nice try, but you're going to go over in this direction. You're going to be in the fashion industry. But what's super cool is. If you become an expert, then you have the privilege of being able to mentor and tutor others. And that plus, you know, like working on yourself and wanting to be a a decent, grounded human being that brings positive energy into the world, like that is just something that I want to share and I want other people to have. And I guess I never had children either. So I really want to share that. I have a real need in my life to have that. Yeah. Yeah, real drive. Do you feel like you have time for it at Nasty Gal as much as you like? I do. I do. I mean, and that's one of the reasons I love face-to-face, you know, and interaction with people because every moment is is an opportunity to do that. This girl, the video of her looks really, she looks really (laughs) perplexed. Her name's Els (laughs) Els Rock. I guess I thought that you were the CEO of Nasty Gal, but I guess my question is how do y'all split what you do versus what she does as the CEO if you're the owner? Cool. Um, thanks for asking. So I was the CEO of Nasty Gal until January of this yeah, year. Yeah, January. And by the sheer nature of having started the business, I was the CEO, the secretary, the president, yeah. and basically had my own little fort. Being the CEO meant one thing when Nasty Gal started. It meant a totally different thing like four years ago. And today it's a job that is really heavy duty. And it's a strategic role. It's a leadership role. You know um, what you said that was really cool? What? You said, Sherry, one of your biggest jobs is to operationalize the magic. And you created the magic. And so my job is to actually scale that magic yeah. for you and as you're out in the community. My job to make magic and partner with Sherry and be her eyes and ears on the ground and give her t- context of what the past has looked like and what I see you know, maybe coming down the pipeline and to continue to instill what makes Nasty Gal Nasty Gal with our team where I can and also get the message out there because I wrote this book and now I'm the face of the business, which I wasn't always. You know, what's really cool, I think, is that it's sort of the best of both worlds because you are here and you are involved in creative. You are the DNA of the company and you are allowing us to be able to document that so that we can teach you know, what the DNA is to others. Mm -hmm. But also, I mean, think of your sphere of influence now. 
it's it's pretty incredible. I mean, the access that you have to new ideas and to different thought leaders and to all of that, I think, brings so much to the company. So if you think about us working together, it's like supercharged. Yeah, I'm like out there, like spelunking in culture. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> spelunking, I love it. That's good. Cool. What do you think our opportunity at Nasty Gal is? And what's been the toughest thing that you've experienced since you joined the company? You know, as a company is growing really rapidly, the culture begins to change. And so where a young company, you're sitting next to each other and you're looking over your shoulder going, hey, what do you think about X? As you scale and you need to have more people to service your customer and to service the business, you have to become a bit more formal and have processes and so on and so forth so that things get done and everybody knows what their role is. Making those shifts in a culture where you have to have some sort of processes and so forth is something that is really challenging mm -hmm. because sometimes people don't like that mm -hmm. and sometimes it's necessary. Yeah. And what do you think our opportunity is here? How long do we have? Um, I think, you know, I've said this before and it feels funny saying this when I'm sitting in front of you, but somehow you have captured the zeitgeist of a whole generation in your life and when Nasty Gal first started coming onto the scene and growing its fan base through the interactions and the relationships that you were creating, I think that that whole sense of community and that relationship with the customers is one thing that we have a chance to take global. Because again, as I said before, I think relationship is the ultimate luxury right now. I think the way that we express style, and I don't say fashion, I really do mean style. Style is one um, order of magnitude more cool, I think, than fashion because style takes into to account your own personality and your own way that you want to express yourself. So I think relationship, style, and then this sense of community, which you have so beautifully captured in, in Girl Boss, the book, I mean, where people really are learning that it doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter where you were brought up, it doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. It doesn't matter whether or not you went to college. It, nothing matters. What really matters is that you are true to yourself, you work really hard, and that you can manifest your dreams. You really, truly can. And I think you just have ignited this sense of possibility in young women and older women and, <laughs> and men. No, really. It's like really incredible. So it's our responsibility to take this style leadership, which you brought up in, in Girl Boss and the way to manifest your dreams. And then you've also created this foundation, um, the Girl Boss Foundation, where you are actually giving a leg up to young talent so that they can manifest their dreams. And so think about the possibilities of, of what this is. Mm -hmm. It's It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. You yeah. said it better than I could. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sherry. That's this awesome, Sophia. Thanks for asking yeah. me to be part of the podcast. Of course. Cool. All right, guys. That was our fourth installment of Girl Boss Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with Kay Cannon, the writer of Pitch Perfect and Pitch Perfect 2. So please tune in. Our producer is Shara Morris. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. Please let us know what you think of the show. You'll find us on Twitter at Girlboss, on Instagram at Girlboss, and our email address is podcast at girlboss.com. You can find me on Twitter at Sophia Amoruso and at Sophia Amoruso on Instagram. 
And if you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and subscribe to us in iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave us a rating or comment wherever you subscribe, but only if you like us. It helps other people discover our show. Thanks for listening. See you next week.